Welcome to the Humanity Matters Podcast, where we discuss philosophy, faith, leadership, nonprofits, and a host of social issues. We want to add value and understanding the dignity and freedom of human beings. For more information, visit the website, philipfletcher.org. And now, the Humanity Matters Podcast. Another episode of Dr. Phil and be taking questions that were submitted to me this week on a wide range of topics, uh, topics ranging from the anti-lynching bill that was passed in the Senate, uh, Bernie Sanders, uh, questions about Star Wars versus Marvel. That'll be pretty fun and a host of other questions. So I am uh, recording this for my Humanity Matters podcast. And if you have not uh, subscribed or listened to that, just jump on over to uh, iTunes or the podcast, Apple Podcast or Spotify or any of those other places that you get your uh, great podcast and subscribe. Give me a thumbs up, a rating or something like that. And Love to hear from you. Also, if you want to connect, uh, send me an email, humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. That is humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. And so we'll be taking uh, questions and I'm just going to uh, run through these, kind of, you know, do some light ones, do some heavy ones, bounce back and forth and uh, go from there. So I figured we would just jump right in and take a uh, pretty light one. And this came through an email at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. And the question was, what's the best advice you could give to a young father? So I am the father of three basic adults now, uh, a 21-year-old, 19-year-old, and an 18-year-old. I have a son who uh, attends Henderson State. I have a daughter uh, who is going to school here locally, Moralton, and another daughter who will be graduating Conway High School in May, and then she will be heading west to the University of Oklahoma. So we'll be empty nesters this time come August. So I've seen my kids grow up. I've had the privilege of seeing two of my kids born, my oldest and my youngest. I was in boot camp when uh, my oldest daughter was born. She always holds that against me, but I try to love my princess nonetheless. And so as a young father, I would say this, you're not going to know everything. Don't even try to know everything. At the very beginning, especially uh, being your first child, and this is for fathers and mothers, all right? Um, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. There are no instructions that come with this beautiful human being uh, who is blessing your life. And so uh, take into consideration that this is a human being. And as a human being, a human being wants to do things on his or her terms, right? 
And so early on, uh, that baby is going to really be dictating your life, right? Sleep patterns, eating patterns, uh, the things that you were doing uh, prior to becoming a parent. Um, that child is going to dictate those things. Now, speaking directly to my men uh, who are young fathers, this is your opportunity to uh, influence that child, male or female, in what it is to be a father. That is your opportunity uh, to show uh, your child what it is to provide, what it is to uh, protect, what it is uh, ultimately to love, what it means to listen, uh, have your child see your failures as well as your successes. And so um, I would also encourage you to observe other fathers, those who've been in the game for quite some time, those fathers who have 10-year-olds and 13-year-olds, and ask them uh, what their experience is like. Now, here's the thing. Um, their experience is not going to be your experience because there's a whole host of variables that shaped that father-child relationship that is going to be drastically different than your father-child relationship. So take that in consideration as you're giving advice. That's why I'm kind of being kind of general uh, because my experience is different than yours. Yes, we're fathers. Yes, we have kids, but uh, there are a whole host of other variables that go along. Like for instance, uh, there was a period of time I wasn't around my children a lot. I was in the military and so I was gone a lot, right? And so um, a lot was put on communication and really that time I was there with my kids really paying attention to them because I would be gone, you know? And then when I was gone, making every effort possible to speak into their lives. And so above all, love your kids, play with them, go to movies, hug them. Father, don't be afraid to hug your son. Don't be afraid to kiss your son. Father, uh, show your daughter what it is to go out on a date. Show your daughter what it is to be appropriately respected. Uh, show her what that means so that when uh, that knucklehead comes knocking on your door and he wants to take your daughter on a date or, you know, I want to marry your daughter, you know, that she's done the hard work already because she knows what she's looking for because she's seen it in her father. And if you are not involved in your child's life, then I would strongly encourage you pick up your phone, connect with your child. Turn off the basketball game, turn off the Xbox, PlayStation, pause hanging out with your fellas and go hang out with your child. Take that opportunity to invest in a life because that's the greatest responsibility uh, that you have. And you don't want to get older in life and have regrets. You don't want to have uh, your children uh have resentment towards you. You don't want your children to repeat patterns, right? That you demonstrated to them. So I would encourage fathers, be present, be active. Above all, uh, 
show love to your kids because in doing so, uh, they can carry that on to their children. And that's one of the best pieces of advice I could give to a young father. So do with that what you will. So this is Humanity Matters podcast, Dr. Philip Fletcher, and we are doing Ask Dr. Phil, and I am responding to questions that were sent in to me. If you've got a question, hey, put it in the comment section and I'll try to get to it within this next uh, hour or so. So what is next? Let's get a little heavier. Hey, what do you think about the last Star Wars movie? What was better, Star Wars or Marvel? Like, boom. So I'm prejudiced, right? 1977, first movie I was taking the scene by my father was Star Wars, a.k.a. Star Wars A New Hope, Episode 4, Luke Skywalker, Han Solo, Princess Leia, C-3PO, R-T-D-2, Darth Vader, you know, you know, and I was like blown away, right? And from that point forward, every birthday, every Christmas, anytime I had the opportunity growing up as a kid, I wanted Star Wars action figures, right? And then Empire Strikes Back came out. Return of Jedi came out, and then they had some books come out, Expanded Universe um, with Star Wars. And then in the 90s, George Lucas released the prequels. Yeah, okay, Phantom Menace, uh, Attack of the Clones getting better, uh, Revenge of the Sith, all right. Lightsaber battles between uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, epic. And then, you know, they decided to do 7, 8, and 9 with The Force Awakens, and The Last Jedi, and then Rise of Skywalker, Force Awakens. Okay, it was good. Great job, JJ. Um, the Last Jedi. Mm, I, you know, as a, you know, someone who grew up with them, Last Jedi could have been better. Rise of Skywalker. Okay, you know, good solid ending, right? The Rise of Skywalker, the ending to the Star Wars, the Skywalker saga didn't hit the like mm, like Infinity War and Endgame did. Like Infinity War and Endgame, especially Endgame, it like put a bow on that Joker. Like you're snotting and crying because uh Tony Stark died, you know, uh Steve Rogers has become old man Steve now and we lost Natasha, the Black Widow, so on and so forth. But they they really tied that together. Right? Ten years, you know, MCU like Mm, like, mm, I just remember watching Endgame. People was just crying. 10 years worth of movies, 20 some odd movies. 10 years of movies, 22 uh, different movies of superheroes. And so I've got this like Star Wars. Yes, right? Then I've got Avengers and all the stories. And I have to tell you, uh, Star Wars will always be like near and dear to my heart, more so because the first movie my dad took me to see, right? And everything that came out for that with the action figures and things like that and collections. But I tell you, uh, Marvel built on Star Wars, right? It built on Star Wars and everything Star Wars did with telling a story and marketing and you know, good versus evil and all those kind of things. And Marvel took it to a whole different level. So I don't know if it's which one was better. I just think um, Star Wars really laid the groundwork for all these other 
large movie types that we see, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean, Harry Potter, any of um, the Hunger Games, obviously Marvel Cinematic Universe. And so we owe a lot, honestly, to George Lucas and his vision uh, that was then uh, carried on by Disney and now all the stuff they're doing. See the Mandalorian. That is awesome. Awesome series. Uh, the Clone Wars is going on right now. See that as well. Uh, so I look forward to seeing what they're going to do next uh, with the Star Wars universe. Uh, this new series they've got coming out and new movies. And look forward to see what they're going to do with Marvel. Because I don't know what you're going to, I don't know how you top the last 10 years. You know, and just, I can do this all day. And it was great. So those are my thoughts. Uh, Rise of Skywalker. At the end of the day, yeah, these movies still did not reach the level of the the first three, four, five, and six. They just they just didn't, you know. And uh, but it is what it is. Uh, I'm thankful uh, for uh, Star Wars, and you know I collect them. Hey, see, there's one. That's Finn. Uh, we got uh, Lando Calrissian. Right. Cool guys. So very thankful uh, for what happened uh, in the Star Wars series. Hey, even got Han Solo. Look at that. So that's it. So on to the next question here. Dr. Philip Fletcher asked Dr. Phil um, Humanity Matters podcast at Gmail dot com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. Also, go over to Coho, City of Hope Outreach, Facebook page. That's my nonprofit, which could segue into my next question. Can you explain how everything is going with Hope Village? So Hope Village, for those of y'all who do not know, is a project out of uh, our nonprofit Coho, City of Hope Outreach, uh, located here in Conway, Arkansas. And uh, we have been working, uh, fundraising, hustling, talking to people, all types of different people traveling the state uh, to build 10 small homes, five one bedroom, five two bedrooms uh, that are going to provide housing uh, for homeless persons, veterans and low to low to moderate income individuals and families. And so uh, we've purchased land. Uh, we're in the midst of a capital campaign. Uh, we had a significant donation. Uh, from the Methodist churches here in Conway, Arkansas. And so we thank them very much. Uh, we also uh, having some matching funds coming in. And our goal is to get two of those built by the end of the year. So have some very significant meetings coming up uh, to really get the project moving forward. Uh, and just really looking forward to seeing uh, men and women and children uh, get some housing here in Conway. Uh, the the ability to house persons who are homeless is is very limited here in the city of Conway. Um, a lot of improvements could be done, but that depends on uh, city issues. But then also everyday citizens, right? Uh, if we were if we prioritize it as everyday citizens, then we could really do something. Uh, to address homelessness here in the city. So I'm thankful for Bethlehem House and what they do, Conway Ministry Center, 
and what they do and what they've done with their warming station. Uh, they had a warming station for the homeless while it was cold here in Conway. Uh, the work that the Women's Abuse Shelter does. Uh, but more needs to be done. And one of those things is that we need uh, more housing opportunities, emergency shelter, transitional housing, permanent housing. It, it's, it is what it is. And so um, when people come together to do these things uh, compassionately, involving a, a host of different people, then a lot can be done. So if you want to make a donation, go to hopevillagecoho.org. You can make a donation. It's tax deductible or 501c3 organization. Also, you can purchase a brick, a memorial brick that's going to go in the walkways for the houses. Those are $100. And uh, when we do the building, uh, those bricks will go in the walkway. So there's your opportunity to contribute as well. And we got some t-shirts coming out and all that good stuff for you to get involved um, if you want to get involved with the steering committee, hit me up. I'd love to have you looking for people to help with the programming side, uh, construction side. Uh, and let's do this thing. Like, let's do this. We can do it. So that's that question on that. So let's get a little deeper here. What are my thoughts on the anti-lynching bill? So this past week, the Senate... United States Senate passed uh, the Emmett Till anti-lynching bill. And essentially, uh, and I'll read the the House uh, bill, H.R. 35. And you can go to United States Congress website, download it, read it. Okay. And H.R. 35 um is essentially called, this, this act may be cited as the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. Now, if you don't know who Emmett Till uh, was, young boy who was lynched uh, supposedly for whistling at a uh, young white lady who has since recounted that whole story. Uh, but nonetheless, this young boy uh, was killed. And then when his funeral was held in uh, Chicago, his mother asked that it would be open casket because she wanted the world to see what they did to my boy. Close quote. Powerful. All right. Powerful. And so this uh, anti-lynching bill is meant uh, to address uh, lynching. And the way they have it laid out is addressing uh, and I quote here from the bill, the crime of lynching that succeeded slavery as the ultimate expression of racism in the United States following Reconstruction. Now, historically, lynching was going on prior to the Civil War. Uh, lynching was happening in the Northeast. The very word lynch uh, comes from a, a former soldier and white people were being lynched. OK, and. Uh, for whatever reason, in the South, right, this became the modus operandi of some of our sick white brothers and sisters at that time. Uh, the bill goes on to state at least 4,742 people, predominantly African-Americans, were reported lynched in the United States between 1882 and 1968. The bill goes on to say 95% of all perpetrators of lynching escaped from punishment by state or local officials. And it goes through and lays out uh, some history. Now, 
the thing I have about this bill, well, let me get here. So lynching at the close of the bill, it gets into this. And this is line 15, uh, subsection 250 lynching. And it says, quote, whoever conspires with another person to violate section 245, 247 or 249 of this title or section 901 of the Civil Rights Act of 1968 shall be punished in the same manner as a completed violation of such section, except that if the maximum term of imprisonment for such completed violation is less than 10 years, the person may be imprisoned for not more than 10 years. Close quote. All right. So Essentially, the federal law is saying persons that participate in the act of lynching can be imprisoned for not more than 10 years. Now, lynching. Now, a lot of lynchings that you may see uh, that happened post reconstruction. Okay, um, It was like a, a nighttime party, black males drawn out of their house, hung split from here to here, their penises cut off, sometimes penises shoved in their mouths, emasculated. And then these these jokers would take pictures around it like they were taking, I don't know, selfies or something. But this was happening to uh, black males and black females uh, post-Reconstruction. It was an opportunity for uh, some, not all, but some uh, of our white brothers and sisters who were sick on racism and, and, and all of these things to seek to execute power, to suppress uh, the life, liberty and happiness of black American citizens. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, Congress comes in, they've been trying to get this bill passed for years. I don't know what the issue is. So whatever the issue is between a democratic house or a Republican house, it never got passed, but it got passed this time. Okay. Um, and it's going to the white house to be signed. And more than likely, I suspect that the president is going to sign this bill. It's an election year. I don't mean to be cynical, but it got passed in an election year and it's going to more than likely get signed in an election year. Now with every law, my question is this, will it be equally applied? Okay. Um, will it be equally applied? What I think about is um, the event that happened in New York when uh, a couple of our sick black brothers uh, and sister went into a Jewish synagogue and committed a crime. Now, historically, this lynching based off of this bill, lynching occurred People were identified on the basis of the color of their skin, their ethnicity, and they were killed on the basis of the color of their skin or their ethnicity. So if that is, you know, at the underground of this lynching bill, will black Americans be prosecuted if they lynch someone who is white, who is Jewish, who is Latino? Will Latinos be prosecuted under this lynching bill if they lynch somebody because they are black, white, Asian, right? And then are then I think about some of the things that are going on in our neighborhoods. Um, so gang violence that happens is that lynching, right? 
racial conflict and someone dies, is that lynching? You know, those are, you know, some unintended consequences that I think that we need to consider. But ultimately, like with every law, the law has to be equally applied. Okay, so um, this cannot just be applied to white people. Because then the law is not equally applied to all citizens. Right. So whoever commits a lynching murder, right, on the basis of somebody's ethnicity, then it should fall under this. My other concern is 10 years, like 10 years. Um, I wonder why so few years, 10 years uh, for a crime that has the bill lays out is historically uh, heinous. And does this federal law supersede any state laws, especially we think about the black man who in Texas uh, was drugged behind a truck and um, they met the death penalty. And I believe that's when George W. Bush was governor of Texas. So which takes precedent? Should those men have gotten 10 years or the death penalty? Right. I think that's something that we should take into consideration. So those are my thoughts on the uh, Emmett Till bill. Uh, it is sad um, that we had to address this because ultimately, and this is my opinion, um, you know, murder is murder. Murder is murder. Um, however it is done, whatever the motivation, murder is murder. And at the end of the day, um, you took the life of someone I loved and, you know, how do we respond in regards to justice? So it's something to think about. So Humanity Matters podcast, ask Dr. Phil, and we are just tackling some questions, uh, up until about, uh, five o'clock and next is this the question that we've got here political stances and character so i got a uh message and uh what it has to deal with is uh, our political leaders and voting for them and how much do we take into consideration regarding their character and their policies. Okay. Character and policies. Now the question that was sent to me, I want to really set, uh, the context for this. Cause I want to honor, uh, the question that was sent to me and it just really gives us an opportunity to think about the people that are running for office, how they behave, but then, you know, their policies. I think it's important for us to consider those, especially since, you know, uh, early voting is going on uh, and then Super Tuesday is going on. If you live here in Arkansas, uh, we'll be voting on uh, March 3rd. And so when we're thinking about people's uh, who we're going to vote for. Yes, we need to consider their uh, policies. But what about their character? So bear with me here as I read uh, what uh, this young man said. Okay, 
I'd like to hear your thoughts, and I'm quoting here. All right. I'd like to hear your thoughts on the connection between a political candidate's personal character and their political stance and integrity. I've been trying to figure out how I feel about Trump since 2016 because some of the policies he promised and some he has pushed for while in office have been not terrible. And yet I can't find myself being comfortable with him in office. And I keep waiting for him to cause a serious problem, start a war out of pride, things along that line, because it's become very clear that he has really poor personal character. At least that's been my impression. But then I've heard Christians who have said because he has promised conservative stances, particularly anti-abortion, Christians support him. I have consistently approved of the character of many Democratic candidates, but I don't support many of their policies. Now, I don't really have an answer for those Christians who support Trump strictly for his promised stances, save for the fact that I believe a person's personal character will show up in their politics and leadership. I'm continuing with his comment. The context continues. I know that isn't a question so much as rambling. So now that I've explained, I'll sum it up in questions. So how much does a political candidate's personal character play into them being a good leader for our country versus them having good policies? How do you personally draw that line? Do you think political stance <coughs> excuse me, and policy indicate personal character? For instance, could someone be accurate in saying, quote, because politician A is in favor of policy X, they must have bad, untrustworthy character. Close quote. On the other side of the coin, does bad character inherently mean you cannot trust the policy and decisions made by a politician? How much realistically will a politician's good character lead them to adjust their policy to really do what's best for the people? How accurately do you believe you can discern a politician's character? Uh, you don't have to answer each of these. I think I've made it clear where my inquiry is. If you just address the subject, that'd be very helpful. I've been trying hard to decide if I should vote more based on perceived personal character or strict policy. I love your thoughts. Hopefully they can help me settle this internal debate. Close quote. All righty. So. What are you taking into consideration when you are going into the voting booth? Great question. What are you taking into consideration? I voted already. I went on the first day of early voting because I don't want to stand in line with people, right? I want to get in, get out, get about my business, all right? So, Politicians are running for a particular office, okay? Whatever that level is, whether they are running dog catcher all the way up to president of the United States, okay? They are running for a particular office to execute their duties, all right? None of these politicians are perfect. So we should dismiss looking for Jesus, Mahatma Gandhi, Mother Teresa, the Buddha, any of these 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 figures, right, uh, that are the 
pinnacle of, uh, you know, Jesus being the superior. Uh, but any of these human beings, right, who are like exemplars in integrity and uh, moral character. So when I am looking at these politicians, I can only go off what is presented, right? So uh, when he or she gets up, I am listening to what's being said. And I am measuring what's being said in accordance with the Constitution of the United States, right? That's the supreme law of the land, all right? I'm listening for those policies that are being prescribed by whomever, right? In the context of the Constitution of the United States, in the context of the state constitution, the context of, you know, our local government. And I'm asking myself, do their policies, are they falling in line with the Constitution of the United States? I'll take a strict reading of the Constitution, just so you know, transparency. Um, so I'm listening to these men and women and I'm like, yes, maybe no. All right. So I'm, 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 I'm interrogating their policies. Yes. On that policy, maybe with a little bit of massaging. No, right. Like, no, like that's been tried and it had horrible circumstances, horrible consequences. Let's come up with a different idea. Right. And then, you know, you you kind of you go through this process, whatever your process is, and you say, okay, that candidate, yes, this candidate, no. Okay? So when you get down to say you're two, right? Or maybe you're three, then you know, you can take into consideration as well their character. Right now, we're in a social media age. Like, dang, I saw a video of Oprah. Uh, talking about balance and she like fell flat on her face. Like it was like, Oh my gosh. Right. I saw uh, a video of this dude running for uh, president Tom Steyer and he was on stage with juvenile. And I was like, bruh, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? Right. I got it. He's trying to have fun. I got it. He's trying to get the black vote, you know, by, you know, being with juvenile. I wonder that the first time he's ever uh, listened to Juvenile, uh, but it is what it is. What is the relationship with his family? What is her relationship with her family? What is their temperament? You know, you, you'll hear other people talk. You'll hear people that were disgruntled, right? They'll have something to say. Um, you'll hear people that'll speak glowingly of this candidate, right? So as far as integrity, it's kind of a roll of the dice, right? Because you can you can only take people's words for it. And then you've got these competing claims, right? Um, and you're just going to have to be like, okay. Like President Donald Trump. So I didn't vote for the man. And the first time around, transparency, I didn't vote for the man the second time around. Okay. Has some of his policies been good? Yes. All right. Why am I not voting for him? Uh, he, he, he's uh, just a little, he's a little bit too loose for me. 
Okay. He could have a little bit more gravity. All right. Gravitas. All right. Because of the office and the responsibility that he has. I got it. Personality. You know, he's, you know, most of his time in New York, he's coming at people. I, you know, I take that in consideration. Uh, I wish somebody would just lock him out of his Twitter. I think that's not helpful. Um, but that's me. That's me. For somebody else, they may like, I know people, they like that. You know, he's giving it to the state and, you know, the deep state. And he is uh, letting the, the mainstream media just have it. And then I can control the narrative and so on and so forth. And, you know, and for other people, they're like, yes, ride with Donald Trump. Right. And so for them, um, I, I, I perceive they are prioritizing the policies. They're making allowance for his personality and they are sometimes looking past some of his mistakes that he's done. Right. We've all made mistakes. So you have to ask yourself and everybody has to ask this question. Okay. Um, and I, excuse me, let me go back. I asked myself this question. Am I looking to have a priest in office, a pastor, a father, a nun in office? No, they, no, no. Their giftings don't have them be in that place, right? Um, I'm looking for someone whose policies align as close as possible to the Constitution of the United States of America. That's what I'm asking myself. If that individual in office then goes off the moral rails, okay, and that individual starts fiddling with the Constitution and making decisions, right, that are unconstitutional, there's a mechanism for that, right? And if it can be proven, right, then that person has to, you know, go find another life, right? Now, part of the question was, if a person has uh, poor integrity, uh, what about their policies? Now, for instance, the, the person brings up the abortion concern, right? Uh, there are good, well-meaning people who advocate for abortion. And the justification for that advocacy is their view, well-meaning, that it's a woman's right to choose what to do with her body. Okay? Now, these are well-meaning people, right? Who I'm sure more than likely they love their spouses. They love their kids. They are working hard on a uh, daily basis. They're, you know, doing everything possible. They're not breaking the laws or anything like that. We just have a disagreement on the abortion question, right? Could I vote for them? Well, me, no. Like, no. Okay? Because I'm also looking at other policies, too. 
And I tend to, and, and I've looked at how <clears throat> even on the abortion question and the view of human life, <clears throat> the other policy prescriptions are pretty consistent with views of uh, human life. And so those policy prescriptions, I, I just can't get with. So I would encourage you, <coughs> excuse me, if you have not voted, do the homework this weekend. Tuesday's coming. Look at the policy prescriptions of these individuals and ask yourself, do those policy prescriptions line up with who you are as a human being and how you would like to see life conducted here in uh, the United States of America in whatever state city that you live in and then vote your conscience at the end of the day, please vote your conscience. Um, you know, you see all these videos and commercials and all those videos and commercials, y'all I'm telling you like that's fluff, but you know, they're, seeking to shape a message and a narrative about themselves. They want to influence you to vote for them, right? Just like a Coke commercial or Airbnb commercial or whatever, right? They're trying to influence you, persuade you to vote for them. I'm saying push all that stuff to the side. Go look at their what they're prescribing and interrogate those policies, And in doing so, I believe you will arrive at a place where you can uh, make an informed decision about uh, who it is that you need to vote for. And as far as integrity, um, sometimes you just got to go with your gut. Most times you can discern whether that person is cool or not, a douchebag or not. I mean, you can, right? I, for one, um, like I said, I didn't vote for him the first time when I went and early voted. I didn't vote for him this time. Like, I'll say that. Now what? But I did vote. I'll tell you that. The question is, who do I vote for? Who do you think? Well, anyways, so that's the answer to that question here. And this is Ask Dr. Phil on the Humanity Matters podcast. I am very thankful for these questions. We have talked about Star Wars and Marvel. We've talked about advice given to a young father. Uh, We've talked about Hope Village. Go to hopevillagecoho.org. Make a donation. I appreciate y'all very much. Talked about political stances and character. Talked about the lynching bill, the Emmett Till bill. Go look up HR 35. Ask your congressman or woman how they voted. Ask your senator how they voted. Ask them why they voted the way they did, right? Study about the history of lynching, all right? Uh, You'll be very surprised on what you find. So we got two more questions, uh, 15 more minutes. I got a question from Exodus 22, 16 through 17. And the question is, do you think Exodus 22, 16 through 17 would be beneficial to our society if we enacted it today. All righty. So I always get a little nervous when people go to the Old Testament. You know, there's a lot going on in there, right? Let me set the context, right? So Exodus falls in the Torah. Torah is one of the first five books of the Bible. 
Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law, right? It's part of the Tanakh, Torah, the Nebuchadnezzar, the Kedavim, all right? You got the first five books, you got the wisdom literature, you got the prophets, okay? You know, wisdom, Psalms, Proverbs, you got the prophets, Amos, Isaiah, Ezekiel, all right? So that's like the big Jewish stuff, all right? So when you read Exodus, what you have to remember is this, is that Exodus was written and developed uh, in the context of a particular group of people, all right? So God creates the human race in Genesis. Out of that human race, he calls one man, Abraham, out of Abraham, calls another man, uh, Jacob, who becomes Israel, and out of Israel becomes the 12 tribes, and you've got the nation of Israel, right? And out of there comes Jesus. Hallelujah. But we're stuck in the Old Testament, right? So Exodus, right? This is Exodus 22 context. I'm giving real fast. All right. So God has sent Moses as a Messiah figure into Egypt. Let my people go. Moses has announced the good news, the gospel. God has visited him. They're going to go out and worship God at uh, Mount Sinai, right? So through a series of cataclysmic events, God, through Moses, delivers the people of Israel. They leave Egypt, go through the Red Sea. Now they head into the promised land. Into the promised land, they're going to do a lot of conquest and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So at the mountain, right, uh, Exodus 20, fast forward, all right? So you got the giving of the Ten Commandments, right? And in there now, you got kind of a you got the Ten Commandments. Then you've got like a, let's unpack all of this, right? Why? So that the society knows how to function, okay? And the standard is the two tables, love God, love one another. That's how the Ten Commandments can be boiled down. Love God, love one another. So Exodus 22, 16 through 17, you can make the argument, this is on the second, ta- about the second tablet of how to love one another, right? So you shouldn't defraud each other. You shouldn't steal from one another in the context. Okay. So in the context of this time, all right, um, it is um, paternalistic, if you will, male dominated. Okay. But at the same time, there are protections for women as well. All right. So in it, it says this Exodus 22, 16 through 17. I hope you appreciated that brief summary of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law. But here we have Exodus 22. Moses is getting these instructions. They're throwing a party at the bottom of the mountain, but we'll get there later. All right. If a man seduces a virgin who is not betrothed and lies with her, he shall give the bride price for her and make her his wife. So if a man sees a girl, he's like, hey, she's like, hey, right. He seduces her. Right. And she's not a fiance to anybody and they have relations. All right. He has a responsibility to offer a bride price. All right. A dowry, if you will. Right. To her family, her father specifically. And he is to make her his wife. So she leaves one covering her father. Right. And now she's under another covering her husband. And she's not flapping out there in the wind. Okay. Okay. She still has security. Ooh, beautiful, right? 
Verse 17, if her father utterly refuses to give her to him. So the father in that time was like, hey, bruh, no, nah, bro, I don't like you. And that was kind of shady what you did. You didn't come to me first and uh, respect our dignity as a family and the dignity of my daughter. OK, so if a father utterly refuses to give her to him, he shall. Who's the he? The man that seduced the virgin. He shall pay money equal to the bride price for virgins. And so he still has to provide for this young girl. That economic provision was for that young girl. Now, the question is, would that be helpful in society today? So word for word. Could we carry out something like this? Not in our culture today, because the American culture does not mm, value this idea that in order for uh, a man and woman to get married, the man should go to the family first and seek permission. Right. It's just not value. Second, um, Relations between males and females are not valued. Like sex is just something to do. It's just something to do. It's not between two loving, consenting adults. It's just like something to do. We're just two bodies getting it, go about our business, right? But the principle, though, could certainly be offered. Like the dignity of the family, the dignity of the young girl, and even the dignity of the man who is in pursuit of that young girl. That if we were to affirm the dignity of these three, the family, the young girl, and the, the man that is seeking to be with this young girl, I think we could go a long way. So while word for word, uh, our culture of America uh would not be able to execute this because our culture is just something completely different than uh, the Jewish culture. And then secondly, it was a theocracy. We're not, we're a constitutional Republic. Right. Um, and so no one religion takes a priority. We're a pluralistic society. Uh, what we could do, which all people I believe could agree on is the dignity of the family the young lady and the man who was in pursuit of that young lady. So those are my questions. Those are my answers. So finally, I think I did this on purpose. <laughs> Why are you not more supportive of ideas and solutions proposed by people like Sanders, Senator Sanders or Senator Warren? That's Elizabeth Warren. I'm surprised by this because of the type of, of work you are involved in. Now, for those of y'all don't know, uh, my organization, the City of Hope Outreach Coho, uh, started 13 years ago. Uh, and our uh, work is to work with men and women and children who are in uh, poverty type situations. And we focus on education, housing, and community development. And so uh, I spend a lot of my time uh, talking to people who are in situations like this. Uh, hearing their thoughts, um, seeing their frustration, their anger, their sadness, 
and a host of other things that goes with uh, their lives. I see a lot. But then I also hear, and this goes back to that other question about policies, I hear the policies that are proposed by uh, Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, Senator Elizabeth Warren, and to a degree, you hear the others like Mayor Pete Buttigieg and so on and so forth, right? And history has shown uh, that those types of policies uh, do more harm than good. All right. So Senator Sanders specifically, uh, you know, he's the front runner right now, uh, according to whoever. Uh, And, you know, he's proposing, you know, Medicare for all. Uh, or whatever term, universal health care, child care for all, uh, free college education, public college education. Uh, He's proposing uh, basically forgiving all student debts. All right. So I hear these things. Right. And they sound good. Right. I mean, they really do. They do. And with any leader, leaders have vision, okay? Leaders have vision. And most of the time, uh, when leaders propose vision, uh, what leaders lack is the details in the execution of how to achieve that vision, okay? Um, With my work, I've... I spend a lot of time reading and what would be like social justice type stuff. Right. And you see a lot of vision casting and utopian type ideas. Senator Warren, Senator Sanders, they remind me of a religious figure. So bear with me here. When you read the prophets, so I'm thinking of Isaiah chapter 40 to the end of the book of Isaiah. He promotes a vision, right? New heavens and new earth. There's going to be no more weeping. There's going to be no death, crying. You know, these are things that are reiterated in the New Testament. You can see it in Peter, the epistle of Peter, and in Revelation. Okay? But the thing is, it sounds great. No more death, right? Awesome. The lion and the lamb, laying down together, right? Like, whoa, people are beating their uh, weapons into uh, instruments to produce food. Okay, awesome. But what is not clear is how that vision is going to be achieved. So in a similar vein, this is an apples to oranges comparison. Senator Sanders is like, a prophet who stands out and he presents a utopian idea of America. Revolution. Those are the wor- his words, not mine. Fundamental transfer- transformation. His words, not mine. Healthcare is a fundamental human right. So on and so forth. These are vision casting ideas and words that 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 get people to like, yes, yes. And, you know, I hear that I'm like, oh, yeah, like, shoot. 
my student loans are forgiven. My car loan is forgiven. My, you know, whatever. But what is lacking is the how. Okay. And that is where like debates and, um, you know, these interviews, those are the times for to interrogate the prophet, if you will, on the how. And so I inter- I've interrogated, you know, his ideas, Senator Warren's ideas, interrogated uh, a host of different uh, ideas that are proposed by these men and women. And my concern is the how. Because in order to do that, it requires it, money don't come out of nowhere. Right. The government has no money. I think many of if you follow me for any time, you've heard me say this before. If every single individual in America stopped working for like a year. Where would the government get his money from? The only way the government can get his money is through taxes. They tax our income. Okay, they take our income. They take that money and then they do this stuff with it. But as I listen to the 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 vision casting ideas of a Senator Bernie Sanders or Senator Elizabeth Warren. One, the numbers don't add up. Um, It would require them getting the money, not just from the wealthy people. Right. But from us everyday people as well. Now, we can get into the whole thing about rights and so on and so forth and uh, what is necessary for a human being just simply to exist in America. Uh, But what I do know is this, is that for uh, the ideas that are proposed by Senator Sanders uh, as a democratic socialist, I would probably make the argument he's more of a social uh he's proposing social democracy not democratic socialism but you know that's kind of tomato tomato um i'm not about to say he's a communist even though lenin said that socialism is the is the way towards communism i'm I'm not ready to say that he's that uh i think what we need to consider is um this. And I have uh, was reflecting the other night that I have no problem with your idea of socialism or democratic socialism or being having a social democracy or uh, any of the the derivatives. Okay, I have no problem. What I have the problem is you forcing me who doesn't want to live that way into that way of life. And now again, we can get into the other things. Well, what about roads and, you know, all this other stuff? We can get into that, right? Um, but I don't like to be forced to live a particular way. Why? Because I'm reminded of my history and my relatives and what they came from and how they would have forced to live a certain way and their labor was provided so that other people could could live. 
And that is my fear um, with the idea that's being proposed. So that has been Ask Dr. Phil. Hey, get with me on uh, the Humanity Matter podcast. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, any of the locations. Um, This will be available soon. I appreciate the questions. And remember to be kind, be love, be generous. And if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. Each and every one of you, regardless of what you believe or how you vote, I believe y'all are amazing. And I appreciate y'all very much. Y'all take care. God bless. Thank you for listening to the Humanity Matters podcast. For more information, visit the website philipfletcher.org or send us an email at humanitymatterspodcast at gmail.com. And remember, as always, if we remember to live in hope, we can do the impossible. So be love, be kind, and be generous.